champs, Indiana Extra Point is in session. It is presented by Lawrence Neological University. Lawrence Tech wants you to recruit yourself. Just go to ltuathletics.com and click on the Recruit Yourself link. Academic and athletic scholarships are available over two dozen varsity sports, including football. Amazingly, we are now to week number eight. In fact, it's time that Baz and I get together. We'll be talking not just about what happened in week number eight, but the sectional pairings, because they will be announced this Sunday, October the 10th. As always, Bob Stambazzi is uh, my able assistant slash partner in crime. Good morning, my friend. How you doing? Good morning. Just as usual, peachy, peachy, peachy. Another exciting weekend, but what a great comment. We're week eight. <laughs> I yeah. shake my head. I don't have much air left, but I sit here and shake my hair and head and say, oh, my goodness. We're headed really down the home stretch here. Yes, we are. Uh, and, and I hate to be Debbie Downer off, off the jump, uh, but but I'll kind of take the floor in terms of talking about my game. And I wish I could sit here and, and tell you about the fact that, hey, this was a great game and it featured four touchdown passes that were 58 yards or longer and that Carmel's quarterback was 11 yards away from setting a single no picks over the course of really about five and a half quarters played. I wish that would be the focus of our conversation today, but it's not. Um, the game that we did was Carmel and Ben Davis on Friday night, which is one of the great rivalries in the state of Indiana. They have played every season uh, for the last 41 years. They have won both nine state championships apiece, and they have accounted for four of the eight state titles in 6A since its formation in 2012. But the story coming from Friday night was that the game was concluded with 6.25 left to play, with Carmel leading at 35-21, when gunfire erupted just outside of the stadium. Thankfully, there are security checks at Ben Davis. Thankfully, on the side of the field uh, in which the gunfire broke out, um, there basically is kind of like an iron fence to be able to get into the facility. And there is security on hand. And thankfully, they did their job. One teenager fired multiple shots towards another. Said teenager was hit, thankfully, in the arm and was immediately deemed to be in stable condition. So nothing life-threatening there. But you had thousands of people running for the exits. You had football players sprinting towards their locker rooms to get off the field or immediately going from thinking about the next play to laying in a prone position and trying to analyze where this threat was coming from. It happened on live television as we were broadcasting the game on MyNDTV. Now, here's the crazy thing about this. As we were talking about this, Bob, my partner, and Kevin behind the scenes, that is our engineer for these shows every week, Kevin goes, yeah, it's, it's happened to me at a game about 15 years ago. Bob, you immediately chimed in from a game you were officiating and said, yeah, it happened to me in the Fort Wayne. And that's the thing, Baz, that I have tried to tell people. Well, we're recording this on a Monday. I think it debuts on a Tuesday. So it was three days removed uh, from this happening uh, on, on Friday night. And I've tried to tell people, folks, do not cast aspersions on Ben Davis High School or the Ben Davis Athletic Program because this happened at their front gate. Because, frankly, at this point, Baz, sadly, this could happen anywhere in the state of Indiana. And I am so thankful that, A, a bad situation was not a worse one. There was not an active shooter inside of an athletic facility. It was too close for comfort. It was just outside of it. 
Uh, those two people that were involved in said shooting had nothing to do with Ben Davis High School, had nothing to do with the athletic program, had nothing to do with that game. It was just that was the flashpoint where violence happened, and it happens all too often. But this time it happened on live television. This time it happened, um, you know, within a couple of hundred feet of where I was. It happened at about 100 and was happened about 75 feet from where one of our camera operators was. Um, again, I, I don't think I'm shaken by it. I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed by it. Um, I relish the opportunity on Friday night to just have the chance to talk about a football game. I look forward to the next 10 or so minutes of our conversation in terms of talking about a football game. It was a scary situation that I have told everybody I've come in contact with, Bob. It could have been so, so much worse. Greg, I cannot agree with you more. And, and I hate to say it in a positive way, and I don't hate to say it in a positive way, but wow, what protocols in place yeah. by the security at the facility, or it could have been much, much worse. We don't know. We'll never know. But uh, with the security protocol set up and the way that uh, uh, the police handled it down there in Indianapolis, uh, you know, their training took over. And as soon as something like this happened, uh, their first mindset is to make sure, get everybody to safety. And that's one thing I noticed, uh, as you said, the kids, first thing they did was go into the prone position. And yep. the second thing they did was sprint off the field. And you said, well, that's gunfire. We need to take a break and we'll be right back. You defuse that situation by not having everybody hoard in. And I just think that everybody, except those uh, two individuals, did their job and yep. by doing the job through training uh it wasn't any worse than what it already had turned out to be and we're very very thankful that uh, no other student athlete or any of the fans were involved in that uh, particular situation there's a dozen or so people that sprinted toward it because that's their job uh, and and they did it so so well there were thousands that then ran away from that situation and understandably decision from their own self-interest and their own self-protection. The sad thing is, of the many sad things that played out uh, on Friday night, is that because the kids now have to go through training for this at their school because of the environment we live in, because it's become all too commonplace in the last 20 years for incidents of gun violence to happen in a school setting, they were sadly the most well-trained people in the building. They knew exactly what to do. And that, um, in one sense, it helped the situation. In another sense, it makes me heart sick. So uh, I just want to say again, thank you to the folks at Ben Davis who handled that situation and followed the protocols and the training for incidents you hope never happen, happened. And they squelched it as best they could. And secondarily, um, let's take better care of each other. So stuff like this doesn't happen. We have to think about this uh, in settings like that. Bob, there is no good way to segue from that into talking about football. So we'll 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 do the best we can with it. And you had a, a game on Friday night that uh, yeah. wasn't exactly on the statewide radar because it was zero six versus zero six. But I have I have done some basketball games like I've done some football games like that. I think I had zero seven versus one and six a few years ago in week number eight. And I tell people I say, folks, this game's going to be great. Because the kids all realize this might be our best shot to win a game this year. Tell me what you saw on Friday night. Uh, a nightmare. 
And, and the reason I say that, I felt so sorry for North Miami as Wabash comes in at their place at Wabash and Alumni Field and uh, jumped out early, uh, went on to win 48-7. to But it was a nightmare for North Miami. And the reason I say this, I have so much respect for Joe Grant, who uh, uh, cut his teeth uh, under Coach Law down at uh, Sheridan. And, and when, when you sat there and look, at one time during the game, Greg, they had their fourth-string quarterback in there. Mm. And because the first stringer got hurt, they've had – that would have been the third. If he would not have been able to come back, that would have been the third starting quarterback they would have had left the, the, for the season. But he was able to come back. Uh, and what I got excited about, and, and you know me, I, I love it when kids really get out there and work hard. North Miami was come be able to come down late in the contest and score. And it wasn't a give-me score because Wabash still had some players in there on the varsity side trying to protect the shutout. So I, I just loved uh, the, the point that the kids did not quit. Coach Grant did not quit. And he was telling those kids, we have to overcome adversity in life to be successful. And that's a big thing that I took away from that game. Even though Wabash played their best game of the year, winning 48 to nothing, and a lot of credit goes to Coach Hanley, who called the dogs off early. I had North Miami's athletic director doing the game with me, and Troy said he had a lot of respect on how Coach Hanley handled the game. But other other than the score of 48-7, it was a lot of fun watching both teams compete on the field. That Neither one had won a game going into this. All right, there are three games across oh, yeah, the right. state that got my attention, and we will literally go from the northwest corner to the southwest corner as we do this. Let's recognize the Maryville Pirates. They have been on a really good two- or three-year run. They are 7-0. and They and Center Grove are the only two unbeaten teams in 6A. Maryville will probably be rated somewhere between 3 and 6 when the AP polls come out. Um, the Pirates are good. The Pirates' stopping point last year was Westfield. I think that might be their stopping point again because they are clearly the two best teams in the north half of the 6A bracket. They would not play each other until the semi-state. Merrillville beat a Valparaiso team that most expect to be in the 5A semifinals, if not the 5A championship game, and beat them like a drum, 42-7. to The closest yep. game that Merrillville has played all year has been 26 points against one of the best teams in 2A in Andrean and against a quality 5A team in Michigan City. But part of the issue that Merrillville faces – and again, this is a this is what I have jokingly called a graduate level discussion for athletic directors. Are you better off playing the teams that are closest to you? That way you're spending less time traveling. Frankly, that way you're making more money at the gate, and especially knowing you can have fans back this year when you couldn't have many, if any, a year ago. I understand dollars talking in, in terms of, yeah. of, of getting teams that will bring good crowds to come play you or teams that are willing to play you. Maryville is 7-0. They play a very good Chesterton team in a couple of weeks. I don't think there's much to impede their path to the semi-state from a postseason standpoint. But Maryville could easily be 12-0 when they get to potentially Westfield in the semi-state. And I'm not sure the Pirates really are going to know how good they are in terms of 6A competition. Your thoughts about that and where this Maryville team is now, Bob, at 7-0? Well, it's a, you know I was scanning that the other day myself. And, and when I look at the Pirates, uh, in their schedule. Uh, the thing that I look at that you're alluding to 
it, that I think is a deterrent for them is the fact that this may sound silly, I get it, but different time zones. Now, if they want to slip down, Absolutely. If, Lafayette has, if Lafayette has an opening to come that far south, down 65, so be it. I think that could be a hookup. But I don't know if they'll want to travel uh, two hours plus down to Indy to play a game or if their uh, conferences would uh, permit, you know, even if the a MIC team or somebody like that would have an opening. Right. I, I, I agree with your assessment because we've talked about it in great length over the years. We've seen that come out of the sack in Fort Wayne basketball to be able to hook up bigger schedules. And I agree with you 100%. But does the time frame of Central Standard Time versus Eastern, I, it's not a cop-out, it's pure fact, and they got to no. get on the road. I don't know, Greg. I, I, I think you're right. Well, I know you're right. But, but I'm just, I just wonder if that plays a small role into uh, saying, you know, we don't want to travel too far because the time zone and getting our kids to and from. That time zone's a, a, a tremendous point. And I know that many years ago, Maryville and Warren Central used to play. And again, they play in the Doolin Conference, does Maryville, which is the biggest schools and best league they could play in, in their chunk yeah. of the state. Their two non-conference opponents are Andrean and Hobart, which are two great football programs. They're smaller in enrollment. Yeah but they're probably the best two teams they could play in the two-county area, in Lake County and in Porter County. So I'm not trying to rip them, but it goes back to the conversation you and I have had about the Fort Wayne teams that actually yes. think playing that, that the full-round robin and playing other but conference teams, at least for the – it's wonderful for Lures, but for sure. – and we'll talk about Lures and their big game coming up in a moment. But 6A schools, it hurts them. Because Homestead and Carroll don't have a way to truly measure themselves against an HSC, a Fishers, a Noblesville. In other words, the closer 6A teams to them and the ones they are going to see sooner rather than later in terms of the playoff path. All right, a couple other games I want to get to. I know we're pressed for time. I want to make sure you've got time to talk about Lures and Dwenger as well. How about Lawrence North? Lawrence North oh, wow. last year with Donovan McCulley now playing at IU. Uh, had their best season in, in 15 years. It unfortunately ended in the sectional championship game. They still could not get over the Warren Central hump. I broadcast both Warren Central LN games last year. They were both at Warren Central High School. Regular season game was in week number seven. LN put it to Warren Central. They got together four or five weeks later, and it was almost exactly the opposite. It was Warren, a team that finished under 500 that dominated LN in the sectional championship game. McCauley graduates, other key pieces graduate, and we kind of put Lawrence North to the back burner. Hey, they're, they're going to kind of fall back to the mean in, in terms of the mix. Well, here's LN at 5-1, and one, and they have found ways to beat Ben Davis and Warren Central in back-to-back -back weeks. Now, they played one less game. They missed a game because of COVID, uh, and and – their other game against one of the big boys of the of the Mick in Carmel, they lost by 30. And that game got away from them late. And LN has to go to Center Grove this week. So I fully expect LN to be 5-2 and two when I see them when they play Pike in week number nine. But a real credit to Pat Mallory. It appears that they have taken that step forward after a great class departed in still being a better football program. Yeah, I mean, beating a good Warren Central program like they did 24-21 is exceptional. And and that's a great thing to build going into this week to take on uh, Center Grove. So 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think this is exceptional, and I think it sends out the signal again. I, I know I use the word signal a lot, but this does send the signal out to this team. You're capable of playing with anybody in the great state of Indiana if, if you do what we are trying to help you understand what to do, and they sure did it uh, the other night. The other, th- the other team I want to commend is Jasper. They are now in their second year in the Southern Indiana Athletic Conference. Uh, knowing that they were up on enrollment and were going to play all the Evansville schools in, in their sectionals, they decided to make the leap, and they brought Vincennes Lincoln with them. You know, we talk about teams, hey, maybe you shouldn't be playing uh, a double-round robin. Because of the distance the Evansville schools were traveling to play teams in Weeks 1 and Weeks 2, and the fact they don't have anybody in 6A in that league. I don't give the SIAC as much grief as the SAC when it comes to playing uh, a, a, a full round robin. So they play nothing but league games in that league too. Jasper beat Castle, and Jasper has made a wonderful transition in the first two years of being in that league. And there's a good chance that Tony Lewis and the Wildcats could go 9-0 and in their second year playing a largely 3A, 4A, 5A conference schedule as compared to playing a largely 3A conference schedule just a couple of years ago. So a quick tip of the cap to the Jasper Wildcats. I want to make sure I leave you time to talk about the Battle of the Bishops. And one other team you want to highlight, tell me about Lures and Dwinger on Friday night. Yeah, Greg, you sit there and you look at uh, this game really came down the final six minutes. I mean, it was back and forth, back and forth at the half. Lures led 27-21. At the end of the third quarters, they were behind 35-27. And then they settled down in the fourth quarter. They put 14 points on the board, held uh, Dwanger to a field goal. But, uh, you know, the boy, uh, Carson Clark, again, had another big night. getting five touchdown passes on the night, over 230 yards thrown. Uh, and, and their running is just exceptional. But, you know, somebody look at them and say, well, they give up 38 points. Their defense can't be that. No, their defense is really pretty good. When you're playing a strong Bishop Lures team, I mean a Dwanger team, uh, Lures right. really comes to play. And, and it was exceptional. And full house, you know, at the stadium. So that's what you want to see. In, in Fort Wayne, because we don't get the crowds a lot of times. But when those two hook up for the Battle of the Bishops, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun and, and doing a great job. Coach Lindsay has the kids really, really, I, I tell you, tournament time, it's going to be go time for them in Eastbrook. I was, was going to say, in 2A, I think the top half of 2A is as stacked as any oh. division in Indiana high school football this year because – You've got Tipton, you've got Heritage Christian, you've got Eastbrook, you've got Eastside, and Andrean's got a couple of losses. Again, one of those is to an undefeated 6A team in Merrillville. The path and Central Catholic is in 2A as well. And so 2A is is also more so than any other you know group. It is yes. more north-loaded than any other yes. group in the state. And so... I think in the I, I, again, I, Lure, East Side would be the first one that Lures would see of that group. But remember, they I think they're the best. They struggled. They struggled with them last year in the playoffs, and uh, right. wouldn't be for a late turnover. Lures would have got beat out, but East Side really played well. Great. All right, we have extended our stay. We've gone a little bit long, and that's probably because of the topic we uh, we, we talked about to start the program. It'll be all football. We hope next week. Some big conference championship games are this week. 
But again, we'll spend just as much time previewing the pairings on the program next week. Thanks to Kevin Behind the Scenes. Thanks to Bob Stambazzi. And of course, thanks to our presenting sponsor, Lawrence Technological University. Recruit yourself at ltuathletics.com. This has been State Champs Indiana Extra Point.